This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I can have. This book has the power to transform my life. And I believe in its power. And I declare that when I hear the word, I am changed. Faith comes by hearing. That's why I love to hear the word. Today is my day of change. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. We're going to get into the word this morning. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, man, I heard Ralph did a great job last week. That's what everybody said, right? Y'all give him a hand clap. We appreciate you guys being so gracious to him, and we just appreciate how you honor us as you honor him as he teaches. You understand? Because anybody that we would put up to teach before you, it's because we know their heart for God. We know their heart for you, and we know they have something to say that will make your life better, right? And so we appreciate you being so honorable to him by listening to him and receiving and being transformed. Amen? So a couple of weeks ago, I began to teach about the Lord Seboeth. Anybody remember that? What happens when the Lord goes to war? Amen? You remember that? Go back in your notes. And if you don't take notes, that's why you should take notes when you come to church. So you have some notes to go back to. It says that he is a God of war and that he goes to war and he fights for his beloved. Amen? Say, I am his beloved. And the Lord fights for me. Amen. You ought to get excited about that. The Lord fights for you. In fact, it says it like this. It says, if you make your bed in hell... He will come get you. In fact, that's what Jesus did when he went to hell. He broke the power of the devil over your life. Amen. And in Romans 8, it says that because he's done this thing, we can be free from sin. We don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Say, I am not a slave to sin. Say it again. Say, I am not a slave to sin. Say it third time. I am not a slave to sin. That means you have been given the power to live free from things that people who don't know God can live free from. Amen? Listen, let me submit this to you. There ought to be a distinction between you and them. There ought to be a distinction between you and them and there ought to be more than a cross around your neck and a fish on the back of your car. There ought to be a distinction, distinctive difference in how you live from how other people who don't know the Lord live, right? And it ought to not just be you are a person of good character because you ought to be a person of good character. Tell your neighbor, say, you ought to be a person of good character. But you ought to be a person who walks in power because there is no way you can hang with God and stay powerless. There is no way you can hang with God and stay powerless, right? So that means we begin to talk about how there are things in your life that ought to be getting better from year to year, Right? Amen. There, you ought to be getting some mastery that you didn't have, right? You used to cuss everybody out every day. You ought to be down. Somebody ought to be off that list by now, right? It ought to be some, it, you ought to have some self-control that you didn't have before. Why? Because nobody hangs with Jesus and stays the same. So if you're going to church and you're not changing, you're not hanging with Jesus. You're just being religious. And it is possible to go to church and study scripture and not be changed. How do we know? The Pharisees knew all the scriptures, but they didn't recognize scripture manifested. You don't want to be a person who doesn't recognize scripture manifested. Well, let me tell you how you get into being a person who doesn't, man- doesn't recognize scripture manifested. You don't practice obeying God. 
If you want to be a person who recognizes when God is moving, you got to move when God say move. Amen. So we were talking about how the Lord goes to war on our behalf. And I begin to teach you guys about how obedience is your greatest weapon. Not your intellect. Not, not how much you give if it's not in obedience. Not how much you fast if it's not obedience. Not how many scriptures you know. The greatest weapon you have for victory in your life is obedience. Make this confession. Say, I do what the Lord tells me to do. Oh, we're going to say that till you get the really feel on the inside. Say, I do, I do. What, the Lord what the Lord tells me to do. See, that ought to be the distinguishing difference between us and them. We do what the Lord tells us to do. And so I'm going to talk to you about how obedience is the position for victory. And let's look at John 14 and 15 this morning. John 14 and 15. We're going to do some, a lot of Old Testament scriptures this morning. We're going to start in the New Testament. Let's read this together. Ready, read. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let's read it again. Ready, read. If you love me, keep my commandments. Does that seem like a real simple instruction to you? It says, if you, do, if you say you what, then do what? Right. So one of the things you have to begin to judge yourself on the inside is, does your obedience match the love you say you have? Are you doing the things that the Lord is asking you to do? I'm not sure what happened. Why I start doing that? Are you doing the things the Lord is asking you to do? Or are you doing what feels good to you? And the challenge for a lot of believers is that you've never learned how to crucify your flesh. Well, how do you crucify your flesh? You obey God. That, that, is, that is how you crucify your flesh. You want to go left, God says right. Every time you go right, you crucify your flesh. Every time you go left, you stare up your flesh. And you make your flesh stronger. And so as a result, we have a lot of believers who, although they have made a profession of Jesus Christ, their life doesn't look like it because on a day-to-day -day basis, you do what you want to do. Mm. And that's tight, but that's right, right? And so here's the thing I keep thinking about. If you want God's promises, how many of you want God's promises? You want God's promises. How do you expect to get God's promises doing life your own way? And if you do, it's insanity, right? It's like if I say, if you come to my house at 2 o'clock tomorrow, I'll give you $500, right? And then you don't come to Tuesday at 6 p.m. And then you're like, well, I don't understand why you ain't giving the money. I don't understand why you ain't following instructions. And so there are things in your life that aren't working well in your life because you won't master obedience. Amen. So let's look at Luke 6, 46 through 49. And listen, obedience is one of those teachings. You don't really like to hear about it when the teaching is going on. But it's one of those teachings that will change your life. It says, and why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Whoso, I, I, I really like this verse right here. I, I say this with my kids sometimes. Like, right. You keep calling me mama, but you're doing something other than what I'm telling you to do. I'm trying to understand what's happening here. Like, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? Do you not understand that the word Lord means that he is the boss of you? Make that confession. Say, the Lord, Lord. is the boss of me. Oh, see, sometimes you got to admit that that's hard to say. The reality of it is, is that everybody wants God to be Savior. 
Everybody wants fire insurance. Like if there really is a hell, you like, hey, I don't want to go, right? Everybody wants the Lord to save them for, from a car wreck. Everybody wants the Lord to help them when they've spent their money wrong. But what about when the Lord tell you don't spend the money to begin with? What about when the Lord tell you don't get on the road and take the trip right now? So you, he can't just be Savior because he's called to be your Lord. And so he says, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? It says, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like, right? So he begins to give us some instruction on what type of person it is. It says, he is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose... The stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. What he's saying here is that your obedience establishes you on the rock of the word. Your obedience is what establishes you, not how much you scream Jesus, not how much you lay on the floor and cry, not, not how many times you run around the building, not how many times you quote scripture. Your obedience is the thing that causes the, look at what he says. He says, if you live, think about this, there is going to come trying times in your life. Tell your neighbor, say, you cannot, ex you cannot excuse yourself from trying times. Life happens to everybody, but what determines who walks out in victory is who is obeying the Lord. And so it says that the person who obeys the Lord, they are like a, they, they're like a person who built their house. How many of you live, you, you live in a shelter, right? You live in some place. You live in a house, an apartment, or whatever, right? Let me ask you something. If you got home today and there was a note on your door and they told you that they had made a mistake and your house wasn't really built on foundation, it was really built on quick scan, saying, who going to stay there tonight? Right? We made a mistake. The house behind you is sinking a little bit. The apartment behind you is sinking a little bit. Um, but we just need you to stay here for a couple of weeks while we figure it out. Who's staying? Right. So why would you build your life on your feelings? Why would you build your life on the opinion of experts who only know in part? Why wouldn't you build your life on the word of God so that you know that you can stand in troubled times? Amen? Let's go to the next verse. It says, but he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built a house on the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house is great. Here is what the Lord is saying. It's saying, when you don't obey, even when destruction doesn't come immediately, you are positioning yourself for destruction, and when the house falls, the ruin will be great. How many of you have ever got yourself in some situations because you didn't obey? How, how many of you just like, if you just look back, it was real, real clear that you weren't supposed to do that. But you wanted to do it anyway. Because you didn't think it would be that bad, right? And it looked like it made sense to do it that way, right? Even though the Lord told you to do it another way, right? How many of you got some wounds from some places that you fell down that you didn't have to fall down? So we want to be people who don't keep falling down. How do we stop falling down? We obey God. Amen. We don't want to be, and it says, it says that if you look at the, pull that verse back up, it says it's like a man without a foundation. Meaning if you're a believer, it says it's like a man that without a foundation. You're a believer, you have a foundation. It says, but when you don't obey, you live like a man without a foundation. 
So we want to obey God. Let's look at some of these points that we have a couple of here. It says, number one, it says, you need to start listening with the intent to do. Listen with the intent to do. One of the things that absolutely changed Pastor Strickland's life and my life is that we made a decision that if we found it in the Word, we would do it. Some of you still debate too much about the Word. Should I join a church? Does the Bible say forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? So there you go. That question is answered. The next question is where should you join church? Should I be a giver in my church? Does the Bible say give and it shall be given unto you good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over? Does the Bible say honor your parents? See, it's real, real simple. Like you don't have to make life complicated. Tell your neighbor, say your disobedience makes life complicated. So you, listen, you have to make a decision who you're going to be before pressure shows up. You have to make a decision who you're going to be before pressure shows up. I've had the opportunity, praise the Lord, to talk to a lot of people who have remained virgins until they got married. And one of the things that's clear, no matter where they grew up, is that they have a very similar message. They had decided they were going to keep their virginity. They decided. They made, a deci- they made a decision before they had a boo. They made a decision before somebody liked them and told them they was pretty or told them they was fine. They made a decision. And so because they made a decision beforehand, they knew what to do. Have you made a decision to obey God even when it's uncomfortable for you? Have you made a decision? What does it mean to decide? That word decide means to take a draw a line and to make an an incision. It comes from the same Greek word as incision, which means to cut away. So when I decide to obey God, then disobedience is no longer an option. Amen? So stop making obedience optional. Stop making obedience optional. And here's what we do sometimes because we can be real childlike in in how we engage with God. Um, You know, it's like sometimes I ask my kids to clean the kitchen, and they say they clean their room. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord. Unfortunately, that is not what I ask you to do. And so sometimes the Lord will tell you you need to forgive somebody. And so what you do is you go volunteer at the shelter. Well, volunteering at the shelter was great, but what he told you to do was obey. And so then he tells you to tithe, and then you give more money to the little Salvation Army red basket. No, 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 no. You can do that too, but you need to learn to do what God told you to do first. And so what happens for people is that people spend their life doing what they want to do, and they're mad because they don't get God results. Well, I don't understand why this thing, and I'll give you a great story. This is one of my, my favorite stories about what obedience looks like. So I had a friend. You remember the, the diet that you took the little drops? You just had water, and you had these little drops in the thing every day? Huh. HCG. Anybody heard of the HGC diet? Well, basically, you were supposed to take these drops in liquid three t- two or three times a day, and you were supposed to eat, only supposed to eat like 500 calories, right? And you were supposed to do it for like 10 days or whatever, right? So on the 10th day, we were like, how much weight did you lose? And she was like, I didn't lose any weight. And I was like, well, what happened? And she was like, well, I was hungry, so I still ate breakfast. And I was hungry, so I still ate lunch. And I was hungry, so I still ate dinner. And they had a party at my job, and I ate cake. Well, you, it ain't that the HGC didn't work. It's that you didn't work the HGC. Hear me, it's not that the word don't work. 
The question is whether you go work the word. The word works. The word was working before you showed up. The question is, are you going to work the word? Or are you going to mix the word in with a lot of what you want to do? Amen. Let's look at Jeremiah 42 and 6 out of the New Living Translation. Tell your neighbor, say, I will obey God. So the New Living Translation of Jeremiah 42 and 6, it says, whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you with our plea. For if we obey him, everything will turn out well for us. Did you hear that? I love this first part right here. You ought to like take a picture, highlight it, put it on your thing. Whether we like it or not, there means that there are going to be times that God is going to ask you to do something and you don't want to do it. Amen? Tell your neighbor, say there are going to be some times that the Lord will ask you to do something that you don't want to do. Ralph, do you know what that feedback is? You think it's my necklace? I know sometimes like when, that sometimes like if you touch the thing. Anyway, I'm just trying to help us. All right. So whether I like it or not, say whether we like it or not, we will obey the Lord. That's the simplicity of life. Whether we like it or not, we're going to obey God. That is what positions us for victory. How many of you can think of times that you have obeyed the Lord and it did make sense to do it the way he told you to do it? Anybody got any of those times where it didn't make sense to do it the way he told you to do it, but when you did it his way, you came out in victory? Why? Because you don't know it all. You only know in part. You only know in pieces. You only know fragmented, and you only know from your own bias. But God knows everything. So what you have to begin to decide in your heart is that whatever God is asking you to do is for your good. See, here's, the, here's what you have to deal with about the, um, the inner conflict in man. You cannot quote, quote Jeremiah 29 and 11, which says what? What does Jeremiah 29 11 say? Uh-huh. Everybody loved Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the thoughts and plans I have for you. They are good, saith the Lord. You cannot quote and say that you believe that God's plans are for you and then fight against every instruction he gives you. So you have to begin to work that without in yourself. You understand? So whether we like it or not, because if we obey God, what's going to happen? It's going to work out well for us. Say when we obey God, it always works in our favor amen some of you have some things in your life that if you would just tweak your obedience you see a big turnaround if you just tweak your obedience you see a big turnaround you're like oh my life is going pretty good well if your life is going pretty good at 60 percent obedience what would it do with 75 percent obedience if you just stepped it up if you just did the few things that the lord is telling you to do Sometimes there are little things. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil, spoil the vine, right? It's not always when you're a believer that you out turning up, getting high, doing drugs, all that stuff. It's that you won't be a person of excellence with your boss because you don't like your boss. Because you somehow believe that not liking your boss has alleviated you from the obedience and excellence that God has called you to. Hmm. Married people really have to work on it because at the end of the day, God doesn't judge what you do to your spouse based on what your spouse does to you. 
God judges what you do based on what he told you to do. So you're like, well, I talk crazy because he talk crazy. Well, when you was a kid growing up, what your mama would have said is this. So if they jump off a bridge, you go jump too? You see what I'm saying? So you have to make a decision that your, that your obedience is an individual sport. My obedience is an individual sport. I'm going to obey God regardless to what my husband does. I'm going to obey God regardless to what my boss does. I'm going to obey God regardless to what they do. And then you say, well, what about the people who don't obey and they get blessed? Psalms 37 says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. What it really says is mind your own business. That's what it really says. I, the Bible should have been written by like somebody's grandma, right? Like, listen here, baby, mind your own business. Mind your own business. What they doing over there don't have nothing to do with you. Don't you worry about that. You do what you know you need to do, right? I'm going to translate the way Big Mama would talk, right? What the other people doing that's not right is not your concern. The question is, are you doing what's right? Are you doing what God told you to do? Amen? Will it seem like that they get to do whatever they want to do and they still get blessed? That right there, baby, that still is not your business. Mind your own business. And you know if you spent more time taking care of your own obedience, you wouldn't know what other people weren't doing. If you spent more time managing your life, I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to manage my obedience, I don't really have much time to figure out what everybody else is doing. I'm just trying to manage myself. I'm just trying to make sure I said the right thing. I did the right thing. I'm going the right places. So if we do more self-care, right, then we wouldn't have so much time to be focused on what everybody else is doing. Amen? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Are you getting something out of this? Say, I choose obedience. Say, when I obey God, I am partnering with God to position myself for victory. How many of you believe that God wants you to have greater victory than you've ever had in your life? How many of you believe that it is some things, how many of you know it's some things that's owed to you? It's some restoration, some recovery, some things that's owed. Don't let your disobedience delay you. Don't let your disobedience delay you. One of the things that you look at, if you look at the children of Israel in the wilderness, they held on in the wilderness for 40 years because they wouldn't just obey God. How long you going to go around that same mountain? How long you going to go around that same mountain? How long you going to be in that same situation? How long are you going to keep coming back to this same place because you won't just do what God is saying? Tell your neighbor, say, God is for you. And everything he's saying to you is for your good. See, I think you have to make up in your mind that you really don't want what God don't want you to have. Mm. The reality of it is, is that a lot of us haven't made that decision in our life. We want what we want and we want God to bless it. And our favorite scripture for that is that the Lord gives us the desires of our heart. But I have kicked over that sacred cow for you and explained to you that that scripture does not mean that God is obligated to give you whatever it is you want. It means that God gives you the desires of your heart when your heart matches his heart. Amen. Now, here's the thing. In your human will, you can manipulate anything. But don't manipulate it and call it a blessing. And then when it pour out curses on your life, wonder why God did it to you. All right, 1 Corinthians 9. We're almost go get over to this Old Testament. Shout, I love the word. I love the word. Say, the word, my life. the word changes my life. 
All right, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. And it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race all run, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Really what he's saying here is don't be saved and then don't ever get the prize that comes with being saved. Like, don't be saved and you never, ever get the things that God prepared for you because you're so busy doing it your own way. Amen. And it says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we do it an incorruptible crown. Here's what they're saying. He's saying that if you take somebody who's training for a race, we got some people in here who run some races, right? People who run in races, they live a little differently than those of us who not run in races, right? It says they're tempering in th things. They discipline themselves in some things. He says, but they're disciplining themselves to get a medal that is temporal. He says, but when you discipline yourself for me, what you get is eternal. He says, when you discipline yourself, think about it. You, we're in high school football, right? They're getting ready to go to the championship game, right? But the people who are the champions this year, they don't automatically go back to the championship game next year, right? They got to work through the process over and over and over again, right? But yet people discipline themselves for that which is temporal. How can you discipline yourself for that which is temporal, but you won't discipline yourself for that's eternal? Let me break it down for you. How can you lose weight to get in your wedding dress but not do the work to have a good marriage? You made sure that dress fit, but you didn't make sure y'all was equally yoked. How are you going to discipline yourself for the natural that goes away and ignore the spiritual that's forever? And for those of you who aren't married and who are believing to be married, let me give you a word. It's really important that you marry somebody who can run the race with you. Because the Bible says one will send a thousand and two will send ten thousand. But if you marry a fool, you got to send this eight thousand that he brought with you because he ain't no help and she ain't no help. So you want somebody who can run the race with you. You want somebody. Listen, one of the greatest things in my life is knowing I have a husband that know how to pray. Listen, it, it, all that other stuff is great. But when I ask you to go get a word, can you get a word? Because I'll follow you anywhere if you can get a word. But if you can't get a word, I ain't going nowhere with you. I know he's cute. I, I, I know that, but cute don't get a word. It's a lot of cute folks in situation. You ought to want to be yoked up with somebody who got your back. Amen. I think there was one more verse on it. It says, there so I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight, not as one that beateth the air. He says, when you run a race, you don't know that you go win, Right? Unless you're just a super athlete. For the most people, you know when you run. Like, even if your team is picked to get to the championship, even if your team is picked to get to the Final Four, you don't know you're going, right? It says, so when you run in this life, don't run uncertainly. Like, you don't know whether you're sure that obedience will produce victory for you. It says you run with certain, don't just live your life beating the air. What's living your life beating the air? You work every week, you still don't have any money. You give your heart to people over and over again, it still get broken. Do you know, listen, I tell my kids this all the time. You know you don't have to date somebody for a year to find out they the one or not. If you feel with the Holy Ghost, you can ask when they walking up to you, should I date this person? 
when they come up, they be like, nah, that's okay. Oh, but that's too deep. We don't want to be that deep. Well, when we don't want to be that deep, we get battle scars. I don't have to spend my life dating you to decide to hear whether you're the one or not. God will tell you whether you should be with a person or not. God will tell you whether to apply for a job or not. This is, um, it was, I would give her the mic, but y'all know how Kenosha is, so I'm going to tell her, her story for her, right? Right. <laughs> y'all, if you go to Bible study, you know why I can't give her the mic, right? So I'm going to tell her story. <laughs> I'm going to tell her story about um, what happened. The Lord told her to move back up here, and she was a teacher. And the Lord told her to move back up here, and she didn't have a job, so she had to take a job at Walmart. And the, some, the, the school year had already started. And if you know Northwest Arkansas, it's hard to get teaching jobs up here once the school has already started, right? She's sitting at work, and the Lord says, go to Roger's website. There is a job, and apply for the job. So she's sitting there trying to decide whether she's going to go or not because that's our natural tendency, right? How is it going to be the job? This Northwest Arkansas, she goes, guess what? It's a job. She got it it right now when she got it she had to take a job that wasn't her ideal job but because she did what the Lord told her to do he then positioned her where he wanted her to be see understand that everything that God asked you to do won't be roses at first sometimes you got to deal with some of the thorns because he's working out some things on your behalf but if you don't even show up in obedience there's nothing to work out on your behalf See, there are some things that God will do for you when you show up, but because you stayed at home, you don't even know what would happen. I got a friend, and um, her son's, um, the Lord gave her a word when her son was in the fourth grade. Her son was really smart, and he had, like, was testing out of schools and all that stuff. And the Lord told her that he needed to go to an advanced school, and they lived in D.C., so he needed to go to a private school. And the Lord showed her which school that she needed to, that he needed to go to. And the tuition for the school was $30,000. And that's nine years ago. $30,000 is a whole lot of money today. It was a whole lot of money then, right? She said that she, she said the Lord told her, go as far as you can go and I'll do what you can't do. So she said, she told her son, she said, the Lord said you're supposed to go to this school. I'm going to get you into this school. She got him into the school, and she said the only idea she had was to have a fish fry and, and, and sell barbecue plates. Now, do you know how many barbecue plates you got to sell to raise $30,000? So on a Saturday, they passed out flyers on this week before, and on Saturday at her mother's house, they grilled, they barbecued, and they fried fish. She said then there were people who came up, and people would always be asking. They would be like, what's this for? And her son would be like, it's so that I can go to this school right here. I believe this is the school God wants me to go to, right? And she said a man came up, and he asked her for the information why her son was there. She said the man bought two plates, and he left. She said 30 minutes later, the man came up to her. He gave her a business card. He said, the Lord told me to pay your son's tuition. Come to my office and get the check on Monday. That man paid the tuition. But you know what? She'd have never met that man if she hadn't been out there with those fish dinners and those barbecue plates. You better learn how to go as far as the Lord will send you and wait on something to show up. And then the testimony is, is that the next year she had the money to pay it herself. But she never would have got that if she'd have just said, well, we can't afford this. There's no way this is going to work. How many things have you discounted yourself out of because you won't obey God? We don't have the money. We can't afford this. I'm not smart enough. It's already failed before. What are you missing out on because you won't go as far as you can go? Amen. Let's look at, um, 
Leviticus 26, 1 through 13, because it's really important to, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to go there. I want to go to Deuteronomy 28, but before I go there, tell your neighbor, say, obedience will set you up to win. So how does the Lord speak to us? This is important. Hold on a second, wrap. I'm thinking about where I'm going next. Um, how does God speak to us? Number one, God speaks to us through his word. The other thing is that God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. That's why you want to be filled with the Spirit and you want to make it a per. Before you ask your mama and your friends, ask the Lord. I know you look up to people, but just because you look up to people don't mean they know. The best thing that we can do for people sometimes, unless they just weigh off, is to say, what did God say? Did the Lord, did the Lord tell you to buy that now? Because you know that there are times just because you have the money, God knows what's coming down the pipeline. It's a reason he tell you not to buy it. See, you making a decision in January based on January, but he looking ahead to November. And if you had done it his way, you'd have ended up with the thing minus the stress. So we want to position ourselves to win. Say, I choose to obey God. When I obey God, I will always win. Amen. Make this confession. Say, I don't want anything the Lord doesn't want me to have. Amen. You, be, you mean that? High five somebody if you mean it because you strike hands in agreement. Like if you really mean that. Like I don't want no. Oh, well, let's go further. How many of you committed to obey God? You committed? All right, let's go a little further and say, Lord, I give you permission to cut away anything in my life that shouldn't be there. I don't, I don't want stuff that shouldn't be in my life. You're trying to hang on to something that's a curse. When you're dating the wrong person, you're hanging on to a curse. When you're working at the wrong job, you're hanging on to a curse. It may be a blessing to somebody else, but because you're not called to, it's not a blessing to you. And then here's the other thing about maturity. Learn to have a good attitude while you obey. Say, I will have a good attitude when the Lord is pruning my life. See, the real test of everybody is how you act in pressure. In pressure. Everybody think their kid is good as long as they're saying yes to them. As long as you're saying yes, of course your kid good. But the real measure of the character of your kid is what happens when you say no. And likewise, the real measure of your character is what happens when God says no. When he says wait, when he says not now, when he says don't say that, don't do that. All right. So I want to look at something. You guys really ought to read the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. One of the things that blesses me out of this story in 1 Samuel is that it says this. It says as long as Samuel lived, the Philistines could not prevail against Israel because of how he obeyed God. See, you ought to want the testimony of your life to be as long as Sean Strickland on this planet. It's some things that can't never come to my kids. It's some things that cannot happen because I stand in my position of obedience. See, understand, you can't cast out devils when you got devils living with you. 
I don't mean in your house. I mean in you. You, you, you can't cast out rebellion and stubbornness when you rebellious and stubborn. Well, I'm grown. I do what I want to do. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? Do you not know that your temple is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You can't just be Holy Ghost filled in here. Oh, lift your hands. I felt tingly. No, the real measure of Holy Ghost is what happens when you are out there and those people pull out in front of you. I mean, when those people pull out in front of you, what do you do? When, when your boss act funny at work and somebody take credit for the project that you really did, what, what's, the, what's in you then? See? Because God will use life to grow us up. Amen. I do. I'm going to stick with my notes. Let's go to Leviticus, the 26th chapter. Because we want to talk about how obedient, important obedience is. Tell your neighbor, say, there are some blessings to the obedient. Listen, people really, really get upset when you tell them this. But here's the truth. Everybody don't get blessed the same and everybody don't have the same favor. Everybody has the same favor seed. Everybody doesn't have the same manifested favor. You can look through the Bible. God don't say everybody in the Bible was his friend. He said Abraham was his friend because Abraham hung out with him. So you can be a child of God and never grow up and be his friend. Just like there are sometimes as parents, you grow up and you become a friend of your parents, but you weren't always a friend because you was too immature to be a friend. My, my baby girl, she used to tell me, she'd say, you're not my friend. i say, you a bad friend anyway. You don't have the money to pay for nothing. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend. I always had to pay for lunch when we go to lunch. Why would I want to be your friend? I always buy you better presents than you buy me. I don't want to be your friend. I need a friend that can make an exchange. So you got to ask yourself, are you a person whining about God ain't your friend, but you don't have the maturity to do the things he's asking you to do? Ah, Leviticus, the 26th chapter. We're going to read it out the Amplified. I want to start with verse 3. No, I do. I, let's go back to verse 1. Let's really look at the word. It says, you shall not make idols for yourself, nor shall you erect an image, a sacred pillar of an obsolete, nor shall you place any figure stone in your land so that you may bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, see, this is real interesting to us because one of the things that we really struggle with here is because for the most part, we don't live in a nation where we see a lot of pagan worship in the way that they did, right? So we, don't t we, we can't go over here and see the stone of Diana or the stone to Baal or whatever. But here's the question you got to ask yourself have you made any idols you should ask the Lord have you made any idols what's an idol an idol is something that you have exalted to God's status that doesn't belong there that's all an idol is you don't actually have to put a stone there but the truth of it is so sometimes people ask us this they say wives ask us this they say what should I do if God tells me to do x and my husband tell me to do y who created you you should obey your you should obey God right you should obey God. What should you do if your boss asks you to do something illegal? You should obey God, right? It's real, real simple. You all, when trying to decide who you should obey, you look at who got the most power in the situation. And so because God holds my whole life, and one of the things I found really, listen, 
women. I'm not talking about just being rebellious and doing what you want to do. I'm talking about when the Lord gives you a specific instruction, you need to do what the Lord tells you to do because God is real good at speaking to your husband when you get in obedience. But you're waiting on your husband to transition for you. That, that's not typically the way it works. Every major change in my life, in our marriage, early on, the Lord would give me an instruction. As I walked out my instruction, then God would deal with Edwin. Now, I don't know whether God was dealing with Edwin or not, but I do know that the way I was trying to deal with Edwin wasn't producing anything. So then what I do is I start obeying God, and when I obey God, he positions me where I need to be positioned, right? Because literally, how many of you know in your life that there are some things that other people have tried to say to you, but when God said it to you, it changed your whole life? Anybody a witness? So we don't have to talk people to death. Just do what the Lord told you to do. So don't make, here's another thing that people in America tend to do. Don't make your kids your idols. Your kids are not your idols. Yes, you want to give them great opportunities and stuff, but you can't be like, oh, we can't go to church the whole summer because my kid got this, 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 and this. What about your, your kid's relationship with God? And if your kids see you put down everything for God, they're going to do a thing. In fact, here's what, what, what we've learned, the principle, that whatever you do in moderation, your kids go do in excess. So you don't want to be this person that's always exalting everything above God. He says, don't do that. He says, why? Because I am the Lord your God. It says, you shall keep my Sabbath and you will have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, here are these two things right here. You should have reverence for the sanctuary, but who's the sanctuary now? We are the individuals, right? He says, so because I'm the Lord, there is some reverence you ought to have for that body that you're in because I dwell in that body with you. Hmm. So when the Lord tells us not to eat something, he's telling us that for us and for him, right? Because he lived there, right? Here's what you need to understand. Your flesh will eat you to death. I'm going to prove to you. How many had a good meal on Thanksgiving? Any? No, it tastes good. You had a good meal, and it tastes good on Thanksgiving. Anybody in here willing to meet to admit that you ate past the point of being full? Thank you. I, pre I appreciate, I appreciate y'all telling the truth. Now, some of y'all, you didn't eat past the point of being full, but what you did do was then you ate cake for breakfast the next morning. Uh-huh. Right. Because the reality of it is, is that your body wants what it wants. And your body literally would keep doing that until it's gone, right? So what you have to understand is that when you don't honor your sanctuary, I ain't saying everybody got to, you know, be 2% body fat. But I'm saying it's real, real simple. If you got high blood pressure and the doctor told you to quit eating certain foods and you keep eating it, talking about, Lord, we rebuke the salt in this. No, you lying. You can't rebuke the salt in the pork. The salt is in the pork. You rebuke it by not eating it. You got sugar. You know what sugar is because when we grew up, I didn't even know it was diabetes because they just called it sugar. Um, you got sugar trying to pray to sweet out your cake. I actually saw Facebook posts like that on Sunday. I mean, on Thanksgiving, they were like, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind the sugar that's in this food. That's deception because you don't have the right to bind what hadn't been bound. Okay, well, let's translate it because y'all laughing. But it's likewise you, paint, you trying to bind the dog and a man who ain't submitted to God. I, I, I'm just 
just trying to help you, man. I'm just trying to help you. Like, so what we do is we justify. So what we go, we go, it's crazy to date a man that we know is a dog and expect him to be um, faithful, right? But it's equally crazy to eat food that your body doesn't work with and then expect your body to be in optimum health and be trying to bind the devil. So we want to not exalt anything, keep the Sabbath. And then verse 3, let's look at this. It says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandment obediently to do them, then I will give you rain in its season and the land will yield her produce and the trees of the field bear fruit. Listen, the Bible has says we are blessed and not cursed. So when shortage keeps coming up in our life, we have to figure out where we've connected with the curse. We already blessed. Tell your neighbor, I'm already blessed. So if I have shortage in my life, it's because I'm not doing something that God is telling me to do. That something may be going back to school. That something may be downsizing where we live. That something may be starting a business. That something may be changing the way we're doing our giving. But there, he says, if you obey me, there will always be rain in its season. It means that there will always be enough. Say, when I obey God, there will always be enough. It says, and your threshing season shall last until grape gathering and grape gathering time, which will last until planting, and you will eat your bread and be filled and live securely in your land. I love this verse right here because how many of you know there are times and seasons for things? The Lord says that when you obey me, he says, then I will cause that your last season won't run out till your new season show up. He says, when you do what I'm telling you to do, I will cause your last season not to run out. What does it look like in the natural? It means that you will stop running out of money before your next paycheck. Yes, Selah, think about this. It says, and you will eat your bread and you will be filled and be and live securely. Tell your neighbor, say, God wants you to live securely. What does that mean? For some of you, here's a great opportunity. Christmas is coming up. Don't buy stuff that you can't afford. That's just real, real simple. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. Trying to impress nobody doing no thing. Don't buy stuff you cannot afford. You got a desire in your heart to do something for somebody you don't have the money, ask the Lord for the money. When the money show up, do it. But a lot of people live insecurely because of their disobedience. And then when you do something that the Lord tells you to do, you got to trust that he's going to provide. Tell your neighbor, say, God always provides. Okay, next verse. It it says, and I will grant peace in the land. What do we know peace means? Nothing missing, nothing broken. So when we obey God, he's going to put us in a place where nothing is missing and nothing is broken so that you may lie down and there will be no one to make you afraid. See, here's the thing. God wants us to live in this place that it doesn't matter what gas prices are. It doesn't matter who's laying off jobs. It doesn't matter because our security comes from him. And because he's already given us instructions that will sustain us. But what happens is that if we're not careful, we begin to listen to what's happening. I'm not saying that we should be ignorant of what's happening. But when we hear what's happening, instead of being like, oh, my God, I can't believe that's happening. We should be like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And then you do whatever he tells you to do. And that's how you will live securely in the land. But a lot of people don't even stop to ask God, what should I do? Gas is down right now. Should I do something with that? Christmas is coming up. Should I do something? How do you want me to handle that? And so what happens is a lot of times we just do what makes sense to us. 
right? And because we just do what makes sense to us, we miss out on what God is trying to do in our life. Tell your neighbor, say, God is positioning you for your greatest victory. Amen. Now I want to go to Deuteronomy 28, and we're going to end here for today. I love Deuteronomy 28 because there are promises that belong to us. Listen, we're not, we've been grafted in. Tell your neighbor, say, we've been grafted in to Israel. And literally, it says that we are sons of Abraham. So it literally means that whatever we saw God do in Abraham's life, we can see God do in our life. There are some enemies in your life. I've been saying this to you guys for weeks. There are some enemies in your life that God wants to subdue and you never see again. If you've struggled with poverty, if you've struggled with lack, if you've struggled with sickness, I believe that God is giving people instruction right now that things that have come up in your life, you will never see them again if you will obey God in this season. There are some things that God wants to do in your life because he wants to make you a testimony of his goodness. See, understand, for example, people are moved by natural things, right? So if you work at a job and you're struggling to live like everybody else, and you start listening to the God, to Lord, and the Lord causes you to excel in that place, people get curious because they know that you were struggling like they were struggling, right? If your marriage was crazy or you come from crazy marriage and then you turn around and start having a victorious marriage, people want to know how you did that, right? If you had health issues and you get healed, people want to know how. So God delivers you because he loves you, but he also delivers you for you to be a testimony. Which is why you don't want to settle in comfortable. You want to go all the way because there are some people that are waiting on you. Tell your neighbor, say, there are some folks waiting on you. And listen, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, God has more for you. Your best days, they are not behind you. Your best days are in front of you. Did you hear what I'm saying? And you got to make a decision that your best days start now because you're going to begin to align with God and you're going to see your enemies fall. That things that came one way, they're going to flee from you seven ways. Amen? You even think about this as a wealth scripture. We talk about how you ought to have seven streams of income. Isn't it interesting that it says your enemy will come one way, but they'll flee from you seven ways. Literally, God will give you seven strategies to push poverty out your life. Tithing and giving in church is just one. Tithing and tithing is what protects everything else you put your hand on. He says, but he'll give you strategies. But are you asking God for strategies? Are you asking God for strategies? You know what, God, I want to be in a better financial situation. We want to be able to retire by this time. We want to be able to give more. We want to be a better blessing. We want to be able to travel. Lord, what's the strategy? What do we need to do? And I'll be honest with you that a lot of times God's strategy, God's strategy very seldom is cut back. He's not a God of cut back. He's a God of increase. So God's strategy is always about something that stretches you. It stretches you. We've been making this confession like for a year now that he would give us businesses and new businesses and jobs and better jobs. Somebody ought to be saying, wait a minute, hold on. I ain't got a better job yet. I don't have a business idea yet. Week after week, I put my tithes and offering in the basket. We make a confession. But I don't go home and say, wait a minute, I made a confession that said that if I join my value system to yours, that you would cause these things to happen in my life, so why my income not going up? Taylor, 
You have to take the word of God literally. If he says wealth and riches would be in your house, you got to start asking why it's not there. Not just confessing it. Well, okay, do you know it says wealth and riches should be in your house? Do you know it says that? Yes or no? Where is it? Somebody tell me where it is. Because you know it says it. Where is it? But I bet if you had a lotto ticket, you'd know where it was. Because you really see it as an exchange to get what you need. You, you said it, Dean. Psalms 23. It's also Psalms 112. It's also Deuteronomy 8 and 18. He says, I've given you the power to get wealth. So if he's giving you the power to get something, if he says, I've given you the power, I'm just talking about money right now because you can translate money to anything. I'm going to do money and healing. I'm going to be done, right? I'm not even going to Deuteronomy 28 because I want you to get something in your heart right here. When you hear word, you have to ask God for wisdom to produce the result of that word in your life. You can't just take the notes. You can't just go, ooh, that was good. You have to say, if there is a scripture that says wealth and riches should be in my house and God has given me the power to get wealth, why is there not wealth in my house? What am I missing? And then what you'll find is that when you say that, God will begin to take you on a journey because he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Right? Here's what I say to people. You tell me you're trying to build a happy marriage, right? If I look on your Kindle or your bookshelf and I don't see books, DVDs, lessons about building a better marriage, you're lying to yourself. You're not really trying to build a better marriage. You're hoping for a better marriage. Because whatever you committed to, you have invested in some resources to learn how to do it better. You say you want self-control, then you ought to be to tell me the scriptures on self-control and you ought to be listening to some messages on self-control. But if you're not, you really don't want self-control. You're hoping self-control is going to show up in your life. If you bring your tithes and your offering, there's so many great promises to give. But if you don't then go back to the Lord and say, now what am I supposed to be doing with this? In every situation, God has a plan for your victory. Tell your neighbor, say there's always a plan for your victory. You can look back through the Bible. When they were going to cross the Red Sea, he said, stretch out your rod and the water will come over. He sent, he sent Elijah to the brook. He told a woman to bake the cake. Like, he always is giving instruction. God is an instruction-giving God. He's an instruction-giving God. You, you literally ought to sleep with a notebook beside your bed. Because most of the time when you wake up in the morning, that's when God is downloading good stuff. And when that stuff starts to download, you ought to just roll over and start sketching it out. Because, you, you know, have you ever said when God gives you something good, you're not going to forget it? But then you forget it. But if you wrote it down, you wouldn't forget it, right? And God will give you ideas. This is what the Lord told me one day. He said, every day I give every one of my children at least one idea that would break them out of poverty. God hates poverty. He hates poverty. He's abundance. How could he like poverty? You're a parent. How could you be content living in your house and your kids homeless? Because you're a, he's a parent, right? 
You gotta ask for strength. Listen, we just go in with this right here. Thank you. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. We're gonna look at this scripture. We're gonna go over to Psalms. I mean to James. I'm gonna give y'all some questions. And then you need to go ask the Lord, husband and wife, you need to be asking the Lord what you think and all of that different stuff. You need to start staring up what God desires to do in your life. Amen. You are looking for increase, right? Oh, yeah. You 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 are looking for increase, right? You are expecting 2016 to be better than 2015, right? You got your plan yet? Not just what you wrote down, but what the Lord infused on it. Because the Bible says that you can make plans, but it's the Lord who establishes them. So you write down, I write down stuff all the time. I'll be like, you want me to do this? Sometimes he's like, not yet. Because sometimes God will give you an idea that's not for today. So that's why you need to be knowing what is my today plan. What should I be doing today? All right, let's go to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Let's look at this. God has a plan for your health. Amen? Do you know that God has an optimum weight for everybody? If God know when hair 137 fall out, please know God know how much you should weigh. He know what you should eat. He know what you need. Angel and I talk about this all the time. It's funny, me and Pastor Edwin, in order for our bodies to run optimally, we have to eat two totally different things. Why? We're not the same person. And so the challenge for a lot of people is that you're trying to get breakthrough doing what somebody else asks you to do instead of asking the Lord what you should do. The challenge is, is that sometimes you are too comfortable in your dysfunction because the dysfunction has been around you so long that it's normal to you. See, if you grew up in seasons of shortage in your family, it really may make you a little upset, but it really don't bug you that you you in that situation because you used to it. And the truth of it is, is that if we've grown up in lack and in sickness, sometimes we know how to manage that better than we do health and abundance. That's why we have to let the Lord renew our minds. Because if not, we'll do what we've all, you know everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go, there you are. I'm going to give you this tip right here. I want you to know this. So if you want to know how much wealth your soul can handle, how much wealth your soul can handle, right? Because you need to understand this, that your soul will always bring you to the place of where your mind is set. Right? Your soul will always bring you to the place of where your mind will set. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a raise? Yes? Have you ever gotten a raise that should have changed the way you live? Have you ever gotten a raise that should have changed the way you live, but it didn't change the way you live? Because your mind will always take you back to where your soul is comfortable. If you study the patterns of who you are, you've seen yourself do it. Like if you're a person, so here's the exercise. If you want to know how much money your soul can handle, your soul can handle what is in your account on a day, on your daily average balance. That's what your soul can handle. So, so if you want, if you want, it's the, hear me. I, it seemed like we off, but we not off. Listen, because this is about obedience because God is going to shift you. He's going to bring wealth into your life, but you're not going to be able to hold on to the wealth if you don't deal with your soul. Because we've all gotten increased. We've all been blessed. We've all had an unexpected blessing come that should have changed the game for us. But it didn't because a man always lives according to his soul. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
And so I can be saying out of my mouth, I believe wealth and riches should be in my house. But if I'm still tied to a mentality that says that over a certain amount of money, I don't really think I have the right to have it. When I get up to that point, I'll find a way to get rid of it. Your, your stuff will break to get rid of it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because God is going to pour things out on your life, but you got to do the soul work so you can hold what God has given to you. There are people in this room, you have actually had good people to come and love you, but you don't know what good love looked like, so you send them away. Because you always are going to tie back to your soul. So when you want to know, this is the work I do with my clients, you want to know how much wealth you can handle right now? Take your statement and look at your daily average balance. That's what your soul can handle. So what do you do? You begin to transform your soul. You use the word. You say, all right, God, here's where you start. When you say wealth, because everybody knows that wealth is different, right? Like Bill Gates' wealth and Oprah's wealth, they both wealthier than us, but their wealth is very different, right? So you have to begin to ask God, when it says wealth, what's wealth for our family? Most people don't even know what that means. I want to be wealthy. Well, what is that? What's that number that makes you wealthy? What's that number that allows you to do everything God called you to do? So God, what is wealth for me? What is wealth for my family? Oh, well, we need to give you the number because the Bible always says he does exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think, right? So the number will be something more than what you thought, right? So then you have to ask God to give your soul capacity to handle it. What do I need to break off of my life? That's why you have to know your pa- The Bible says don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. That's why you have to know your patterns. And your patterns you learned, in reality, most people deal with money how they saw their parents deal with money. Most people deal with money how they saw their parents deal with money unless they have something that transformed their soul. If, you're, if something didn't transform your soul, you deal with money just like your parents did. And if, and, and if what happens is this, so like for example, you can see the pattern. Like for example, if you had parents that when they got paid, like this is a cycle for some people, your parents got paid and on the Friday that they got paid, you got to do something fun. You got to go to dinner, go to a movie, go bowling, get something new, right? Some of you. Then the day before they got paid, you better not ask for nothing, not even a pencil. If you're not careful, if that's how you grew up, the day you get paid, you think you're supposed to splurge on something. So you got bills there, but you're like, oh, I want to go to Ruth Chris. All my friends going to Ruth Chris. You got Wendy's money, baby. You don't have Ruth Chris money today. That, like, you, you don't have Ruth Chris money today. You, you got money. But, but because that cycle is working on the inside of you, it's the cycle. Is this resonating for anybody? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So if I don't allow the word to change my thinking, even when God increases me, I will keep being in the same situation, and then I end up getting frustrated. It's not that you didn't get more money. It's that your soul didn't know what to do with it. Do you know that part of wealth is not just who you say yes to, but it's who you say no to? Could you handle what would happen if you increased at the level that God told you to increase and then God told you to say no to some people that you would want to give something to? Can you handle that? Have you mastered it at this level? Because if you haven't mastered it at this level, wouldn't it have cost you something to give it to them? You won't master it at the level of obedience. You understand what I'm saying? So he says in Deuteronomy 8 and 18, then we're going to go because I really want you to get this. 
wealth in Deuteronomy 8 and 18. It says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power, the empowerment to get wealth. Why does God want, why does God care about your financial situation? Somebody tell me. Why does God care about your finances? Hmm? He doesn't like poverty. Why wouldn't he like poverty? It make him look bad. Like he, he's God and he can't provide for you? So you're going to follow God and God can't make sure that you eat and send your kids to college? Why else does God not like poverty? You can't do the work without money. So one of the strategies of the enemy is to keep the church poor so no real kingdom work can be done. And every time you need something, you got to go ask somebody else for it, and then they get to determine what you can do. So he wants to break poverty off your life so that when God says, hey, I want to build a home over here, I want to build a home for elderly people where they're not just thrown away. Oh, but it costs X million dollars. And somebody just stand up and go, I got that. But you can't do that if you don't shift. See, understand, as long as your mind about money is about you, you're for and no more, you don't have a kingdom mentality about money. When you are including your amount of money, it ought to always include who you should be blessing. How much do I need? Who should I be blessing? Who can I change the game for? If you say, oh, if I made more money, I would send somebody to school on a college scholarship. Can you buy them a book right now? Can you start with a book right now? Can you start putting it in your budget right now that you go buy one college student a book? Because if you become faithful over the little, God will increase you to the much. But you don't just jump into the much because if you got the much, it's funny because you always ask people, what would you do if you win the lotto? They'd be like, well, if I bought the lotto, if I won the lotto, what I would do is, what people say they'd do if they win the lotto? Huh? Pay tithes and buy my mama a house. And then what they do? No, I, I, I'm, not, I'm saying the stuff that you hear. What do people say? They go send, put some money back for college. They go pay student loans. Y'all different kind of people. I ask you what other people say they go do when they do. What other people say when you hear what they go say. You can look at the stories and see what happens. What they go do? They go spend $6 million on some gold tips on their nails. Because they can't. Or getting somebody out of jail who is a serial jailer. <laughs> because it, the money isn't the issue. It's the man or woman with the money. So he says, I've given you the power to get wealth. And now Romans, I mean, James, you can just look at it when you get home. So listen, here's how you make a practice of growing up and stretching yourself so that you can handle more. It's real, real simple. You get some money you didn't expect. You ask the Lord what you should do with it. You didn't expect it, right? You can't have a plan for money you didn't expect. So you ask the Lord, what should I do with this? And then you begin to see that sometimes what comes in your hand is for you. Sometimes what you have comes in your hand is just for, to pass through you. You practice that. You begin to ask the Lord to show you the patterns of poverty in your life and how to break them. Some people's status is, is like I just showed, you know, you get paid, you go out, you splurge, and then that's why you, don't, you get Starbucks. You get Starbucks and you eat out the first 10 days every day. You got Starbucks and lunch, right? And then the last day you like, I don't have $2. Well, you ate it up and drank it up them first 10 days. Some people, if you grew up with a family that's real stingy, 
And you have to watch not being stingy. You really are a product of your environment. And you need to let the word change you. Does that make sense? Some of you, the way you eat, you should ask the Lord how you, you should eat. You still eat stuff because that's what you grew up eating. But just because you grew up eating it don't mean you need to eat it. I'm so glad he said it first. I'm so glad he said it first. Hear me. Chitlins is a poverty food. You should not be eating chitlins. Do you know what chitlins are? Do you know they are pig intestines? Do you know what passes through intestines? Yes, you do. They're not that clean. You can't, you're not that clean. No, I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to help you because you need to understand that the enemy destroys you based on what's in your soul. He destroys you based on what's in your soul. And you have to understand that some things we grew up around, it was the best that our parents could do, but that don't mean we can't be better. That doesn't mean we can't be better. I mean, it's the reason that most people want a better house than the house their parents grew up in, right? Even if it was a nice house, you want a better house. Why? Because you've been exposed to it. Well, why wouldn't you get a better diet? Well, I'm about to go now, and so, listen, God really is positioning you for the greatest victory of your life, but part of pruning is looking at your life critically. You got to ask God some questions. Like, here's some questions you ought to be asking if you want to be married. If you're not married, here's the question you ought to be asked. Who should I be, what kind of person should I be married to? Because you got a list with 37 things on them, and none of those things are things that the Lord really care about in your life. What type of person do I need that's going to help me be everything God called me to be? The truth of it is, is probably most of us would say that even if you like your spouse, when you started living with them, they're not really the person you would have picked, right? <laughs> right, like you, you, you picked them because they was whatever they were, right? But when you started living with them, you was like, you tricked me, Right? But when God puts a relationship together, you begin to understand that he puts certain things together because they need each other. They need each other. And if you begin to ask for what you need instead of what you want, you might quit getting broken up with and on and inside. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you. you. If every job you get makes you unhappy, you should ask the Lord what kind of job you should have. You don't like working with people? You should get delivered. God love people. How you don't like no people and you a Christian? You don't like no people? None of them? None of the people. You don't like none of the people. You, if you don't like people, you need to get delivered. You're not called not to like people. You should ask, why don't you like people? God, why don't I like people? None of them? I mean, every job you go to, every job, every single one, like from the time you were 16, everyone, no, man, you need to get delivered. Amen? So I just want us to have the best life we can have. I want us to live in victory. I really want us to be everything Nietzsche said at the beginning. I want us to be a cancer-free zone. You know it's much easier to bind cancer if you eat well. I want us to be a poverty-free zone. You know it's much easier to kick poverty out if you obey God.
I want us to be a divorce-free zone. You know it's much easier to be a divorce-free zone if you marry who you should marry to begin with. And then you do what you need to do to be married. 